And we rejoice in you, Lord. The words of the previous song, that revival may come to this land once again. Lord, I believe is taking place even now. In many cases, Lord, we see that happening in our homes. The enemy may have thought that he was stifling the church during this time. But with all pure hope, Lord, we pray that many more churches were opened and are opened even now in every home that's being represented here today, as well as throughout this land and throughout this country. Lord, as we have humbled ourselves, we've come to realize our need to submit ourselves, to subject ourselves to the leading and power of your Holy Spirit. The guidance of your Spirit, Lord, in everything we do now. That we no longer take for granted the things that happen in, in, in churches today. And in this one in particular, Lord. Father, continue to lead us. Continue to strengthen us. Continue to pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord God. That even when we are able to once again come together, that, uh, Lord, it, isn't, it's, it won't be the same way as it was before. That we'll have a, a, a stronger and a greater love for one another. And that that love will reflect to this world. You shall know that, or they shall know that you are my disciples when you have love one for another. But that would be seen in a greater way when all of these restrictions are, are removed. But even now, Lord God, you don't restrict us from loving each other, from serving each other, from encouraging and praying for one another. I pray, Father, that we have revived to do what you've called us to do until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the appearing of our great God and our Savior, until the appearing of our blessed hope, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who will come for us and can come at any time. And so we're ready, Lord, to receive your word today. And may it encourage, may it encourage our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I have to uh, make clear to you that uh, this morning uh, we will be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you were expecting Ecclesiastes, uh, I am going to encourage you to go to the archives in whatever platform you're using and, and uh, realize that I taught that on Wednesday night. I had had Ecclesiastes on my heart. I was studying it and going through it. And I came to realize a couple of things. Number one, that during these these times of lockdown and stay home orders and all, that sometimes we lose sight of what day it is or, you know, what part of the week it is. And so I was I was just burdened in my heart. I was, I was going to teach Ecclesiastes on Wednesday night, and I did. 
And uh, praise the Lord. I, I encourage you to go back. If you've been studying Ecclesiastes with us on the weekend, uh, it's now flipped. So we're, we're, we're doing Ecclesiastes on Wednesdays and uh, back to, on the New Testament in 1 Thessalonians uh, on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but uh, it is really my prayer that this was the Lord's doing and, and not just because of my own uh, lack of understanding where I was in the, in the week. I do trust that it is the Lord that's bringing us to this book here today. But I do encourage you, if you were studying Ecclesiastes with us, that uh, you will uh, go and watch that today. What else are you going to do on a Sunday? We'll go back and let's, wa- let's watch uh, uh, the, uh, the presentation from Wednesday night, and, uh, and I hope and pray that it'll encourage your heart. I know that for those who, who did see it and, and were able to comment to me uh, that it was a blessing, not because it comes from me, but it's a blessing because it's a word that came from the Lord to us. First Thessalonians chapter 3. So if you were with us on Wednesdays in First Thessalonians chapter 3, then you know where we're, we're going. This particular book was one that was written by the Apostle Paul to a very, very young church. And in a very short amount of time, Paul brought them to a a great understanding of their salvation, of what it meant to be saved. And uh, and, and that uh, being clear in chapter 1. In chapter 2, Paul deals with the issue of nurturing. He nurtured them, uh, built upon their salvation. Uh, So if we were to break this down in a very simple way, Chapter 1 deals with their salvation, how, how the Lord was, uh, or I should say how Paul was so blessed that the Lord had brought them to a great salvation that was even very noticeable in their lives. And in chapter 2, of course, uh, he speaks of their walk that was to be worthy of God. And so there is a nurturing that goes on in the, in the study of God's word and in the preparation for maturity in Christ. Chapter 3, if we entitle this at all, it is to stand fast in trials. We have to mature very quickly, especially in these last days. We have to mature to understand that all of the uh, afflictions and trials and tribulations that we go through, the persecutions, are something that are not just happening to us because we're believers in Jesus Christ, but as we'll learn today, that the Lord has appointed us to these things. So, as we get into chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and then, of course, throughout this chapter, as we'll study it today, this is the focus that we want to have. This is where we want to keep our hearts focused. It is on our faith, our trust in the Lord in the midst of our trials. Paul says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, and I'll, I'll tie this all together here in just a moment, But wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother, who is Timothy, by the way, sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed Thereunto. 
And so if chapter 1 is about salvation and chapter 2 is about nurturing that salvation, chapter 3 is about establishing their faith in Christ for maturity. And this was Paul's great concern. If there was something that the Apostle Paul would want you to know about him, it would more than likely be that he did not just want to save people and nurture them. He also wanted to establish them in the faith. He wanted any individual or even church body to be rooted and grounded in the word of God and in the faith toward the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so he did not want the church in Thessalonica just saved. He did not want them just nurtured. He wanted them established in the faith, rooted and grounded and ready for anything. Rooted, being rooted down deeply. And of course, if you're going to be rooted in Christ, you're going to be rooted into a rock because he is the rock of our salvation. Rooted and then grounded where it is a part of that uh, that stone or that rock that Christ is. So we are to be rooted and grounded and ready for anything. Now, chapter 1 was about, as I've, I've been mentioning, was about them being saved. And chapter 2 was focused on their nurturing. And as I said, chapter 3 will focus on them being established in the faith. Now, if you remember our look into Acts chapter 17, those of you that were with us in, in, the, first, uh, in the first chapter of First uh, Thessalonians, Acts 17, which is also background for any study in 1 Thessalonians, Paul was, was waiting in Athens. And, and as a matter of fact, he refers to that in verse 1 of our text today. But Paul was waiting in Athens alone while Timothy and Silas came to him there. Back in Acts 17, verses 14 and 15, it says, And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus uh, abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now, what Paul is mentioning in verse 1 of our text refers back to verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2. So as you go back uh, just a, a page or so in your scriptures, notice in verse 17 it says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. So what Paul is expressing here is that it was, there was quite a price for Paul to have to send Timothy. But the whole idea here is, is to know that this is very significant to even our theme. In, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. You go back to the word alone that you see at the end of verse 1 of our text. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. That word alone in the Greek has the sense of leaving one behind at death. Leaving one behind at death. And that is how Paul felt. But he was willing to do this for the sake of the Thessalonians. Timothy was by now proven in his being our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. This is how Paul was, was seeing his son in the faith. Now remember this, that it was Paul who actually brought Timothy, we, we believe, to salvation. But 
then in all of that, Timothy also was nurtured by Paul and established in the faith through Paul. So this is a good example to the church in Thessalonica of being saved, of being nurtured, and of being established in the faith. Consider what Paul says of Timothy in in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24, where he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. You know, Paul had a lot of people that worked with him that he himself also nurtured, that he himself also established. And, and, and they served the Lord. But Paul said of Timothy, I have no one like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And then he goes on and he says, For all seek their own, but... Not, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But you know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with thee or with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. So as it was with Paul all the time, he loved the church so much But he didn't want to just write to them. He would really love to be in their presence. He would love to come and be with them face to face. I've been saying over the past few weeks that what we are missing so much right now is being face to face with you. Face to face with those of you that we we love here in this ministry. I was mentioning last night that uh, as I look around in a a relatively empty uh, sanctuary, that I, 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 can, I can see some of you where you sit. I can, and I, I'm, I'm missing you, but at the same time, I, I can sense this, this, this love that God has given us for you. And, and, and it reminds me of how much I want to pray with you and pray for you. And as I look in, the, in areas, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to commit myself to that because we want to see you again face-to-face. Paul prayed. He, he, would, he would pray for churches that he would really never see, yet he prayed for them. And so this is what uh, we in, the, in, in, in this uh, ministry here want to do. We as pastors want to remember you, and every time we remember you, we want to pray for you. But that was Paul's heart. But he sent Timothy, and Timothy was saved, was nurtured by Paul, and was established. So Paul's purpose in sending Timothy to Thessalonica then was for him now, Timothy, to establish and encourage and edify the young infant church, to establish them, to, make, to, to, to put them in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a place where they could be steadfast in the Lord. He encouraged them to continue to walk in the Lord. He wanted to edify and to build up that young church. In effect, to strengthen the church at its core so that no one would be moved or shaken by the afflictions and difficulties that they would be enduring as a faithful assembly of, of believers. You know, if you go back to chapter 1 for a moment, uh, you know, there, there's a place there where, where Paul actually mentions affliction. He says in verse 6, And you became followers of me, of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So affliction wasn't something that they didn't know about. But Paul wanted to remind them that as they were growing in the love and mercy and the grace and the truth of the Lord Jesus, 
that they would be dealing with these issues, dealing with, uh, with, with the enemy wanting to move them and, and, and shake them up through afflictions and through difficulties. The Greek word for move, by the way, that is used in our text here in, in chapter 3, uh, uh, for moved or for shaken is the word sino in the Greek, and it literally means to wag. Uh, the idea is that of a, of a dog wagging its tail. Uh, now, initially, we can say that this is what Satan wants to do to us, is he just kind of wants to take us and shake us and move us and, and, and wag us. But, but the thought, more, more clearly in the Greek, is that as a dog flatters by moving its tail, the devil, by flattering us with a promise of, of more ease, uh, by taking a different and opposing course than that which the Lord has placed on us, will, as a dirty dog, defile us with such slimy flattery. The devil wants to make it seem as if, you know, you know take it easy. You don't, don't get into, don't get your feathers ruffled here. You know, take it easy. What is the Lord saying to us? It's not easy. The Christian life is not an easy life. And that's something that needs to be taught right away. You know, we, we can't take people and say, you know, okay, now that you're saved, now let's look at things with rose-colored glasses. Everything's going to be so pretty and so beautiful here now because you know Jesus. Everybody in the world is going to love you because you've come to Christ. Are you kidding me? Because you came to Christ, the world is going to hate you all the more. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. And that's the way it's become for many of us. And Paul adds adds this in the text. He says, for you yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. What Paul is saying is we are appointed to this. We are appointed to afflictions and difficulties. Now consider this. Appointed to afflictions? Is that the normal Christian life? It most certainly is. I actually wanted to put a question mark there at the end. The normal Christian life? It is the normal Christian life. It is much different than what some people have have tried to portray it to be. (coughs) Paul wanted this church to know that their present sufferings were in fact in God's control. It is uh, truly a major part of the normal Christian life. What is normal? We've asked that question a few times this past few, these past few weeks. Are we ever going to return to some sense of normal? I don't know that we will. But as the church of Jesus Christ, truly, I don't want to return to what was normal. I believe the Lord has taken us in this time of, of reflection, as it were, this time where we've had to really spend a lot more time at home with our families and hopefully really seeking out the Lord in many, uh, in many ways in prayer and in, uh, in our times of, of, of study, in our times of, of uh, you know, taking hold now and, and seeing how precious it is to receive the word the way we're giving it, but to receive it and then to meditate upon it. And, and the neat thing is that, uh, you know, when you think about it, we, we sometimes, uh, when we watch movies, for example, we, we, we like certain movies, we watch them over and over again. 
We have that very opportunity today to look at something that God has given us in the scriptures over the past few weeks. And, and, and what a joy it is that there, there are archives that we can just go back and we can study these again. We can pause them and, 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 and think about them, meditate upon them, write, write out the notes. Sometimes on a Sunday morning when you're here, you're writing feverishly to get all the notes. And I try to give you time, but sometimes you don't get them all in. You know, here you can go back and you can listen and, and, and meditate upon these things. Maybe this is the, the normal Christian life that we need to now ad, adapt to and, 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 and see that it is much better in our own personal lives to walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling, to walk with the Lord uh, much more intimately, much more personally. So the way's not easy. The way of the believer in Jesus Christ is not easy when you seek to live for Jesus Christ. But now you have to remember that the way is Christ. Remember that Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now we walk on the way. We are on the road to the Father. And Jesus is the way. Novices could get discouraged and defeated with so much affliction if not told honestly and openly that we're going to face these things, that we're going to face these trials. Let's, let's move on in, in verses 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. For Paul goes on to say, For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. When we were with you, that, that was early on. And it was for a short amount of time, but they did not just say, okay, you're, a, you're saved now. You know, boy, God is going to bless you. No, he's going to bless you by being with you in the times that you're going to face now that you walk in a manner that brings glory and honor to, to Jesus Christ. We told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know, for this cause, when I, I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. I, I wanted to know your faith. Are you established, you see? Is your faith established in Christ? In the rock, rooted and grounded. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and, and our labor be in vain. Oh, Paul would have never wanted his labor, his work, to have been in vain. No pastor wants to preach the word of God and teach the word of God and, and, and people hear it and then forget it or, 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 or reject it. For then they would be worthless, empty, insufficient. Consider the exhortations given by the apostles on this subject, not just Paul, all the apostles taught us about these exhortations of dealing with, with uh, troubles and trials and afflictions. Take, for example, what Paul tells the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. 
I'm not moved by, by these afflictions. I'm not moved by the, the persecutions that, that come upon me. Paul suffered tremendous persecutions for the sake of Christ. I mean, he, he mentioned sometimes the, 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 the times that he was stoned, that he was beaten, that he, he even received lashes, you see, for the gospel. Stoned. As, 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 as one who was, was uh, the target of, of the, the very hatred of, of his own people. But he says, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Just that phrase alone, should, every believer should, should really focus on that. How dear do we count our lives today? For the sake of presenting the gospel, or for the sake of, of sharing that, of presenting it, of proclaiming it, of declaring it to those who need to hear the gospel. I don't uh, you know, consider myself more than what God has called me to be, but I, I, I know this, and, and maybe this has happened to you, and I hope and pray that if it does, that you're able, with all of the boldness that God has given us, to share the gospel with people. But I, yeah, I received an email uh, or a text not too long ago from a friend. I think I mentioned this this past Wednesday. But I received a, a, a text of someone just asking me about what's going on. And it gave me the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And, uh, and I pray that that, that, open, that that door will remain open so I can continue to, uh, to see through uh, to the end that this person would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior in this time. So these are the opportunities that we, we, we must take. But we don't count our life dear to ourselves. It's not a matter of, of who we are. It's a matter of who Jesus is. And that we make clear that to, to people. Make clear that, that very point to people. Philippians 1 verse 29, Paul says there, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. You see, that is saying, okay, you've come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You believe and you trust and you depend upon the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's good. But you need to remember that you're going to suffer for his sake. It's something that we need to know right away. Not something that we need to wait, you know, two, three weeks or months. No, Paul went immediately, directly, when these people had come to know Christ, that this is what was going to happen. Besides, he told them, you received the, the gospel in the midst of affliction. So affliction was going to be a part of their lives. Paul to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So now that puts a, a, a considerable weight upon every believer that we are first and foremost to live godly lives in the presence of, of this world. That we are to live godly lives for the sake of our uh, witness of Jesus Christ. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we have to be very careful not to have a mindset that says, well, if, uh, if I live godly in Christ and, it's going to bring, uh, uh, and we're going to suffer persecution, then maybe I won't live so godly. No, no, no. <laughs> live godly. And just remember that because you walk according to the ways of God and of Christ, this is what's going to happen. 
Remember again what Jesus said. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Peter himself also chimes in in this, uh, in this respect when he says in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Now remember, this is a, an apostle who was a disciple of, 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 of Jesus Christ, a, an eyewitness, a first uh, person eyewitness of Jesus Christ, of his sufferings, of, of, of all that Jesus suffered in going to the cross. Peter was one who understood this very personally. Don't think it's strange that you're going to suffer, that you're going to face trials, that these things are going to happen to you. So what you need to do then is change your heart attitude and rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you're a partaker of Christ's suffering. They rejoiced in the book of Acts when they, they, when, when they suffered for the sake of Christ. They gave thanks to God. Thank you, Lord, that we were, we were able to, to, to suffer for your sake. I mean, that's not, a, that's not a worldly mindset. That is a spiritual mindset. A mindset that comes from the Spirit of God because we are different. I mean, our normal is different than the normal of the world, in other words. And Paul was concerned about their faith. That their faith was going to be established and steadfast and and, and rooted and grounded in Christ. The question for us today is, your faith, is it steadfast? Is it established? Is it rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ? Because you see, the tempter who is Satan, seeks to ruin our faith. And he does this without sleeping. He never rests wanting to destroy the faith of believers in Jesus Christ. And yet scripture is noticeably clear that we are to resist him steadfast in the faith. Resist him steadfast in the faith. I want you to notice the mention of your faith. The phrase, your faith. Now we read it in verse 2. But it's also mentioned in verses 5, 6, 7, and 10. Notice in verse 5. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent you to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Verse 6. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity. Goes on. Uh, Verse uh, verse 7. He says, therefore, brethren, we are comforted over you and all our affliction and distress by your faith. Verse 10, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. I mean, that little phrase meant a lot to Paul and it dealt with the faith of the church of Thessalonica. It is clear that we are to resist the enemy steadfast in our faith, our trust, our dependency, complete and total dependency upon Jesus Christ. 
in the, in the uh, epistle of James, James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. This, this serves as, a, as an example of how we can be steadfast in the faith while we go through times of trial and suffering and affliction. Consider, if you will, verse 7. As, as, as really just a, a, a list of things given to us to be steadfast in the faith. He says, first of all, submit yourselves therefore to God. We must submit ourselves to submit, sub, you know, you know, you know like submarine, the submarine goes under. We are to come under, you see, the leadership and guidance and direction of God. So we are to submit ourselves to God. Sounds simple, obvious, but we have to check our hearts. Have we submitted ourselves, and do we submit ourselves every day to the Lord God? So we submit ourselves first. We humble ourselves. We submit ourselves to the Lord. We die to ourselves and let Christ live in us. And then secondly, he says, resist the devil. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, that's a very strong statement because James is not just saying that to say, well, you know, it's, it's a nice thing to say. It's a nice little maxim I came up with. No, it's not him coming up with it. It's the, it's the Spirit of God that has inspired him to write this. And therefore, it comes as a promise from God. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. He will flee. But that resisting is not just a little bit of a shaking off. Because think about this. The enemy will continue to come back and try to weaken you, try to weaken your flesh, works on your flesh, works on your mind. And eventually sometimes people just say, oh, you know, we give in. The spirit is willing that the flesh is weak. So we have to then resist to the very end as we see the, you know, these uh, darts of, of the enemy coming at us to tempt us, to throw us off our, our walk with the Lord. But when we resist him to the end, the, he has to flee. He will flee from you. And then the next step here is to draw nigh to God and he will draw near to you. You submit yourself, the enemy attacks, but when you resist, he flees. Then we are able to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. Draw nigh to God, it says, and he will draw nigh to you. But in doing so then, he says, cleanse your hands, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. There before the Lord, we lay down our lives. We lay down the things that are so easily besetting us as we walk in this, in this world. Then he says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. In other words, consider the perspective where you are, what you've come through. And what he's leading to is that the only way that we can truly overcome these things and be steadfast in our faith is to humble ourselves. So he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Submit, resist, 
draw nigh to God. Lay your life before him. And in so doing, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he shall lift you up. And in the lifting up, he is establishing us and grounding us and rooting us in Jesus Christ. So, Paul's response to Timothy's report was to write this letter. So let's go back now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, where Paul says, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith, notice, and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. This is his report. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. And he's telling the church, your faith has comforted us. For now we live, he says, if ye stand fast in the Lord. We live if you stand fast. If you are established. Oh, we, we live in the sense that we live with with joy and gladness and with comfort, knowing that you're established in the Lord. If ye stand fast in the Lord. So this was Paul's good comfort. Paul's good comfort. Because first of all, they were standing firm in their faith. That is what it means to stand fast. It means to stand firm in the faith. In other words, this young church was immovable. It was unmovable and standing stationary and being fixed, not going anywhere. They would not be swayed by the lies of the enemy. They were, for all intents and purposes, as well as their faith, rooted and grounded in God's word and God's love. They were rooted and grounded in God's word. They were rooted and grounded in God's love. This is where we are to be today. Rooted and grounded in God's word. It is our desire each and every day that we stand before you, whether uh, by live stream means or whether we are together in this sanctuary or wherever we might be, whether in a home fellowship or, or uh, in, in one of our classrooms. When we come before you, we come with the word of God. We, we, we can only give you that which God has given us to give to you. And, and we want you to love the word. We want you to appreciate the word, to, to respect the word, and to live the word and to preach the word, and to teach the word, and to give it to your family and to all those that you love, because it is all that we have. All the things in this, in this life mean nothing. Unless we realize that the source of all good things is the Lord who gave us his word, first and foremost. And then we are to be grounded in God's love because God's word is what we're fed. God's love is what we give. 
God's love is what we pour out. God's love is what we, what we express. We are giving the love of God and the love of Christ to people. I would rather that they see Jesus in us than they see us. Though we're probably really pretty and cute and all of that. It'd be better that they see Jesus. One of Paul's great prayers for the church is found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Where Paul says, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, every dimension that is possible for us, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Literally, it means which surpasses all knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. When you consider that prayer, when you consider what he is saying to the Lord for us, he is saying that we are able to be filled because we have surrendered our lives and our hearts. We've emptied ourselves of ourselves that Christ may live in us so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead. And as we studied back in the book of Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. We are also filled with his Holy Spirit. Jesus has filled us with his Spirit. He has baptized and immersed us in his Spirit, the Spirit of God who is not only among us and with us and upon us, but the Scripture tells us is also in us. This is the fullness of God. But what it does, doesn't make us proud of who we are. It makes us humble. Humble to be a vessel, an earthen vessel that is filled with all the fullness of God in Christ. And of course, we, we can't talk about standing Standing firm in the faith and standing fast in the midst of trials. We, we can't talk about standing without mentioning Paul's teaching to the church in Ephesus about the armor of God. Because it always has to come back to the very fact that God has called us to put on the armor of God. His armor. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Whereas before he said that we might be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Now he's saying, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It isn't our power. It isn't our might. It isn't our intellect. It isn't how smart we are or how powerful we are. It is all in who God is in us, in Jesus Christ, being strong in him and in the power of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God, Paul says, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Again, how do we stand fast? How are we steadfast in the faith, in our faith? But that we put on the whole armor of God to be able to stand, notice, against the wiles and the wickedness and the darts of the enemy. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It is against everything that our physical eyes cannot see, but certainly we see the effects of it all around us. We are to stand against this deep state that we've talked about many times in in, in previous months. A deep state that has one purpose in it, and that is to destroy your faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Third time he says, take on the whole armor. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. It's standing, but withstanding. Why? Because the storm of of the enemy's uh, evil is going to come at you in, 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 a, in a feverish pace. Withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. I would say Paul is saying, you need to stand and stand fast and stand strong and withstand. Because it's the evil day. And then stand. And keep standing. Stand until Jesus comes for you. But stand. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, stand therefore. Stand again, having your loins girt about with truth. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Watching. There's an aspect of standing while you're watching. You could not watch by sitting down. You had to stand. Everyone else was resting. And you watched. There were different watches in the the night time. And, And you guarded the walls of a city. And you watched. You couldn't sit down because you'd fall asleep. You stood and you watched vigilantly. This is what the Lord is saying for us. Unto all, with all, thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We watch in prayer. We watch in supplication. We watch because we see the day of Christ approaching. We need to stand as we do this. Secondly, Paul was joyful. He was joyful that the church in Thessalonica was maintaining maintaining a consistent testimony. That's a good challenge for us today. That we maintain a consistent testimony of standing in the Lord and in the power of his Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 9 and 10 says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith 
We joy for your sakes before our God. Night and day pray exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now, let's, let's just come to grips with reality here. Some of us who have known the Lord for more than 20, 30, 40, 50 years, some of us today, if, if, we're, if, if we have a humble heart and a sincere heart, what we would say is, you know, I, I've, I've learned so much from the Lord over these many years, but I'm not done learning. There's still things in my faith that are lacking, and I need the Lord's direction and guidance every day. And that's saying something after years of reading the scriptures over and over and over again. That's the wonder of God's word. It's new all the time. It, it's something that, that you know, it, it just doesn't get old. If somebody says, oh, yeah, I've read the Bible once, and yeah, that's all I needed. Wow, I'd, I'd really question the, you know, the, the, the validity of that, that heart, you know, uh, before God. Who can just read the Bible one time and say, okay, I'm done? Of course not. We, we can go back every day and open the scriptures and it just becomes brand new once again. That is supernatural, you see. That is the supernatural nature of God's word. So what he's saying is night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. There are things you're still learning. There's things you're still needing to grow in. Well, so are we. Praise the Lord. Paul carried this precious church in his heart. I mean, he was praying for this Church in Thessalonica, always in prayer for them. What does this say about our love? Our love for our church, our love for this church, especially the part of the church in which the Lord has placed us. What does it say about us? What does it say today about our love for this church? Do we spend time in prayer? Praying for the church, praying for the pastors, praying for the leadership? Praying for those who... who Spend time praying for you? Or do we complain about the things we don't much like in it? You know, if you, if you want to know the truth, yeah, I have to pray. Lord, I complain about a lot of things I see in this church too. But that, don't, that doesn't get me to want to run out the door and say, I'm out of here. No. I need to pray. I need to trust the Lord. I need the Lord to show me what I can do to correct certain things. And the corrections usually begin here, in my heart. We have to pray humbly. Just as we learn that we come and humble ourselves before the Lord. We need to continue to humble ourselves. You know, we're not here to please you. We're here to please God. The same, the same goes for you. You're not here to please us. You're here to please the Lord with everything that God's called you to do. We just want to encourage you to do that. So Paul also hoped to return to them. He wanted to go and see them again. He wanted to go see the church in Thessalonica again. I mean, that was a constant in his heart. To be in their presence and watch them grow and to mature. And not only that, but he also wanted to be there to instruct them more fully and to, to lead them further in the ways of Christ. Just like a loving father. Father always wants that for his children. That he might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. 
There's always a lesson that we can learn from our folks, our parents. We're not ever smarter than they are. Always remember that. So who could be smarter than the Apostle Paul, and yet Paul humbled himself to reveal his own heart to them, his own struggles, his own trials. This is the way we need to be. And lastly, Paul prayed for God's will upon the church. Verses 11 to 13. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, this is the third chapter that we've studied. Chapter 1, he closed that chapter with a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. He closed chapter 2 with the same kind of reference. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing or not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? And then he closes chapter 3 with the same thing. To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. This is leading us to something, but I'll, we'll get to that soon enough. What Paul gives us in these last three verses here. It's Paul's glorious, glorious commendation. Paul sought God's will through prayer that they should continue to make progress here on earth until they would stand before his presence at his coming. His encouragement through this prayer was for them to press on until that great day. In the Lord establishing their hearts blameless in holiness before him, they were to put away every known sin and purge their lives from all filthiness. And this is why when you go back to, well, when you go forward, actually, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, notice what Paul says there. In his second letter to the Thessalonians, he says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast. And there's that encouragement again, that, that, that challenge again, stand fast and firm and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Stand fast in that. It was a reminder even later on as they were maturing, as they were growing, They were to stand fast still in the traditions they were taught. What was the tradition that they were taught? Not the traditions of men, the traditions of the word of God. That's why he says, whether by word or our epistle. Paul knew that the epistles that they were writing, God was giving them the wisdom and the inspiration to write these things down. They would ultimately become part of the word of God. So, We are to stand fast in the traditions of the word of God. Going back to Paul talking to the Ephesian elders, listen to what he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. He says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified, which is able to build you up. God wanted them more than just established. He wanted them built up and continually growing in the mercy and the love and the grace and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that they would not stop, that they would not stifle their growth in any way, shape, or form, or allow the enemy to do so, even though he would tell them, there are those among you that are here to destroy you, that are here to stifle your your growth, that are here to deceive you, even in that church. And if I dare say, even among the leadership, because that's what he was talking about. When you go back and read Acts chapter 20, So consider, Paul was quite aware of what they were going to have to face. He's aware of what we're facing now to a certain degree. Because what he wrote in Romans chapter 13, when he said in verses 10 through 14, love worketh no ill to his neighbor, and therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Paul had to know, even though he knew that the Lord could come at any moment back then, that even after his own entrance into glory and into into the kingdom and into the presence of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that there would be others who are now needing to awake out of sleep. If the church in Rome needed to awake out of sleep, how much more we who today needed to be awakened out of the sleep that we were in during our normal uh, time. It's no longer normal. We don't want to return to the old normal. We want to begin a new normal of standing firm, and standing fast in the faith. Paul went on to say, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Well, that is more true now than ever before. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, words that pertain to to a sensual, sexual type of experience, not in strife and envying, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on like a garment the righteousness of Christ. Put on Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Are you being established in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you being rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ and in the word of God? I hope and pray that you are. But I want to leave you with a couple of passages of Scripture, one that you will see here and one that you'll have to look up. But in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul said, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to him that, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, unto him our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Unto him be glory. See, the glory is not ours. The glory belongs to him. For everything that God is doing in bringing us to maturity through suffering and through affliction and taking us from our salvation to our nurturing and to our establishing in the faith. And then I want to just close, if you will, turn to 1 Corinthians 
I think I said last night, First Thessalonians 15, but you, you know, there's not 15 chapters in First Thessalonians. So it's First Corinthians chapter 15. And we've read it a few times in the last couple of weeks, but let me read it again. It's verse 58, the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, well, let's read the last two verses. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Be steadfast. Be standing firm. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Your labor isn't in vain. Your labor isn't worthless. Your labor isn't uh, uh, empty. Your labor isn't futile. Your labor isn't insufficient. Be steadfast and immovable. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for them. Love those in the world that need Jesus. And pray that the Lord will give you every opportunity to share your love and his love with them. We love you. We pray for God's blessing. We miss you. We want you to be back here so we can fellowship with you face to face. We look forward to that day. But if it doesn't even come, if the Lord comes today, that's even better. Or we'll be together with him.